We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by zonecoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. We are again brought to you by Circle Rock Menswear, who is our presenting sponsor for the month of January. So please check out Circle Rock at circlerock.com. Today is January 6th, which for those of you who remember, that is the one year anniversary of the Tom Thibodeau firing last season. Um, that happened 40 games from the season last year on January 6th. Uh, Thibodeau was 19-21 and 21 with the Timberwolves before he was let go, and Ryan Saunders took over to lead the team to a 17-25 and 25 finish. So <clears throat> Saunders isn't totally at an 82-game uh, sample of his head coaching duties, but he is 31-46 and 46 after the Timberwolves are now 14-21. and 21. What is that? 35 games into the season. Today, it's just going to be me. Um, and I kind of want to talk about, we, we did plenty of time, you know, elaborating on what happened during that pretty terrible 11 game losing streak and what wasn't working. And it's worth, uh, it's worth acknowledging what's been going on on the other you know side of that since Christmas, the Timberwolves are, uh, four and two and in their last four games, they're three and one and kind of Timberwolves basketball is fun again. It's been interesting to see though, where the improvement, uh, has come uh, since Christmas. The Timberwolves are the uh, the best defense in the NBA. They're giving up 95 points per 100 possessions, and on the other side of that, they're 28th in offenses since Christmas uh, with 98.9 points allowed per or no points scored per 100 possessions. So they have a positive net rating, 10th in the NBA in point differential over that time. <clears throat> now, what's interesting is that is kind of the 
the polar opposite, really, of what was happening prior to Christmas with that 11-game losing streak. The Wolves were 17th in offense and 29th in defense, 28th overall. To flip like that is is a massive change, and obviously a lot of uh, you know a lot of the fingers are going to be pointed at Carl Anthony Towns for you know being in during that losing streak and out during this really good defensive run. Um, but it's really been it's really been a lot of about a lot of different players. the The offense has transitioned better into defense, and they've the group as a whole has been playing defense better. Not to you know completely absolve all blame from Carl, but. However you want to splice it, the Wolves have been a really good defensive team over these last four games, and I want to dig into kind of the five players today who I think have been particularly responsible for this little boomlet that the team's going through. I'm going to focus mostly on the last four games. Again, the Wolves are 3-1 and one during that run. Um, they're first in defensive rating, 24th in offensive rating over these last four, and seventh in in net rating. The five players I think we got to look at here are Shabazz Napier, Jarrett Culver, Robert Covington, Gorgie Jang, and Nas Reed. I think through looking at those five, we can begin to sort of draw some conclusions about, you know, what Ryan Saunders can or will do at the point guard position, what he can do on the wing, and then what he'll uh, be able to do to kind of massage this big man rotation in a way where it's kind of once Towns returns, looking to be quite the logjam. The first player, though, I think we got to focus on is Shabazz Napier. <clears throat> Napier, over these last four games, is averaging 21.8 points, 6.3 assists, 3.5 rebounds, 1.3 steals. He's shooting 55% from three, 63% from two. For the advanced metrics bunch, that's 74% true shooting, which is just elite. Um the Wolves are outscoring. They have outscored opponents by 18.7 points per 100 possessions with Napier on the floor, which has actually been a really good offense when he's out there and then an elite defense, only giving up 91.2 points per 100 possessions. That, um, it, it really, the juxtaposition of when, when Napier's been on versus when he's off too, I think kind of helps dispel some of the, I'm sure some of you are thinking right now, well, the Wolves have been playing kind of bad teams so obviously the stats are going to look a little bit better. Um, they just they just beat Cleveland, Golden State, Milwaukee's obviously good. They played them well. Um, so th- it hasn't been you know hasn't been a great run of opponents. But if you look at when Napier's been off the floor, I mean his minutes have kind of been repurposed by Josh Okogi when kind of Culver takes over as the point guard. Okogi's only plus one point one net rating. Again, this is compared to to Napier's eighteen point seven. So Culver's plus one point one. Jalen Noel is minus 12 and a half during that time. Jeff Teague is a staggering minus 17.6 in his, the two games he's played in these last four. And then Jordan McLaughlin's game uh, wasn't very good. He was minus 22 in his one game he played against the Warriors. So really the, uh, the skeleton key in a lot of ways has been, has been Shabazz Napier and what, what he's been able to, you know, to bring to this group. And it's, uh, it's particularly noteworthy, I think, because Napier was really, really struggling uh, prior to this last run um, before he kind of was moved into the starting lineup or just before these last four games, he was playing 19 minutes a night, only averaging seven points a game, one assist, half a rebound, and he was shooting 21.5% from three. So to his defense has been pretty good all year. Like with, with him on the floor, they've been, they've been stout, but for him to kind of add to this offensive group in a way has been, you know, it's been enough 
for the Wolves to be able to outscore the opponents they've been playing. Again, the the offense hasn't even been good in these last four games. They're only scoring 104.7 points per 100 possessions, which is good for the 24th offensive rating. Um, but Napier gives them just enough, and I think it's um, it's going to be important for them to find a way how to include him with Culver and Wiggins and everyone once once they're back in the rotation to kind of you know keep that added boost that he brings going. So um, I think it's it's particularly interesting how he connects to Jared Culver. So we'll go to him next. Culver is um, over these last four is averaging thirteen point eight points per game, three assists. 5.3 rebounds, 2.3 steals per game. He's shooting 24% from three and 49% from two. The offense has been really good with him in the floor, 109.3. The defense has been elite, 94.3. And Culver's net rating in this run is plus 14.9. On the team of the players who have played the last in those four games, only Napier and Covington have better net ratings in these four games. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with He's played a ton with, with Covington and Napier uh, in these four games. Culver's played 132 minutes. 101 of those have come with Covington, where the defense has been even better with those two on the floor. Their net rating is plus 18.5. 95 of his minutes have come, 95 of his 132 minutes have come with Shabazz Napier. Again, the defense has been elite. The net rating is plus 14.8. But when it isn't, when it hasn't been Napier or Covington on the floor, um, it's, it's largely been Bates Diop, who is, who's filled in kind of for Covington in that stretch four role. And then Josh Kogi has kind of <clears throat> taken over the Shabazz Napier minutes behind him. And so he's played 41 minutes with Bates Diop, and the offense hasn't been very good. The, the defense has been average. Again, this is Culver. Um, in those 41 minutes, the, the net rating is only plus 1.1, which is a huge drop from the Covington plus 18.5. And then uh, it's similar with Akogi. 31 of Culver's 132 minutes have been with Josh Akogi. And in that run, the offense has been average, the defense has been average, and they're just a plus 2.8. So to me, and obviously this is a small sample of just four games, but I think it's it's worth targeting um, for Ryan Saunders to focus on, you know, finding a way to to play Broco, Napier, and Culver together um, going forward. Of Culver's 132 minutes, 91 of them have come with both. Covington and Napier on the floor. The offense has been really good, 107.4. Defense has been elite, 90.6. That's a plus 16.8 uh, net rating with the three of them on the floor together. And I think the comparison you make is to Rocco, Culver, and Teague. This was, you know, before this was kind of Napier's job. And those, prior to these four games, those four players with, with Teague and the Napier, those three players with Teague in the Napier spot had played 94 minutes together the offense had been average as Jeff Teague, you know, normally provides, but the defense was terrible, one twenty point four. So when it's been Rocco, Culver, and Teague, their net rating this year has been minus fifteen point one, which is really bad. Um, before the before these four games, Rocco, Culver, and Napier were not playing together. They'd only played thirty one total minutes together in thirty the thirty one previous games prior to these last four. Um, but they had shown signs of being a, a positive trio before that day with the net rating, a positive net rating of 4.6. And I just I just think that it, it's it's really tied to if Napier is able to play offense near the level that he has been playing these last four games, then he's going to bring a lot out of, you know, Culver, 
and Covington who are a little bit more limited in the ways that they can create offense for themselves individually. So it, it there's going to be a whole lot of uh, rotation tweaking coming up as as this team theoretically gets more and more healthy. But again, if Saunders believes that that Napier is going to be the a major piece going forward, then it does make a lot of sense that they find ways to put Napier on the floor with Covington and Culver. Now, maybe that's just Napier being the starting point guard, you know, kind of indefinitely, and they really move away from the sort of Point Wiggins experiment, and they just go with, you know, the starting lineup they went with last night was Napier, Culver, Wiggins was back, Covington at the four, and Jang at the five. So, you know, obviously once Cat comes back, he's going to start. You put him into that Jang role and, and really find a way to, to, put those, um, to put those guys all together. So it's just it's my opinion that if if Saunders and the team believes that this this Napier run is at all sustainable again you know we're not going to expect him to have 75% true shooting but if he can be an offensive creator for this team if he can consistently you know knock down threes at a you know a, a competent rate there's there's a real argument to be made that they found something here in the the Culver the Culver Covington and Napier minutes and it's something that you know, I think that the the rotation should should adjust for and and target again. That could be starters, or that could be, you know, tweaking that that second unit in a way to to put those um you know to put those three together. Uh, before we get to Robert Covington, Gorgie Jang, and Nasrid, we're going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. We are sponsored again today by Circle Rock. Circle Rock is a menswear company that uses all locally made materials. At CircleRock.com, you can get blazers, dress shirts, vests, winter jackets, all that sort of deal. Any sort of winter gear and formal wear is at Circle Rock. If you want to check them out in person, you can go to Circle Rock's House of Style in southwest Minneapolis. And if you are looking for a discount, you can use the code ZONE25 today to receive a $25 gift card for your next Circle Rock purchase. Again, that's ZONE25 for $25 off today. All right, moving on to Robert Covington. I, I really think this has been, in sort of a low-key sort of way, the way Robert Covington does it, um, maybe his best stretch of of ball he's played this this entire year. Covington's, over these last four, has averaged 14 points per game, eight rebounds, 1.8 assists, Two and a half steals. He's made forty-one and a half percent of his threes and sixty-three and a half percent of his twos. The offensive—he has both the highest offensive rating and defensive rating on the team over these last four. Um, good for a net rating of plus nineteen point eight. And for me, as I'm watching that and then pulling up these numbers, I really go back to thinking about those first sort of uh, eleven games. If you remember last year, Covington was played in twenty-two games, and right after he was traded for. Um, there was there was that eleven game run before he kind of first tweaked his knee, and it was it was the same sort of deal where Covington was playing with you know quote unquote backup guys and really inspiring that group, particularly on the defensive end. Now you might be thinking you know Covington started he wasn't a backup, and that's true. But what Thibodeau was doing was Covington would be the first player to sub out um, in the first quarter, kind of come out like the six minute mark, so he would be back in. Um, with that second unit to start the second quarter. And they they found a, a ton of success there, kind of in those those early second quarter minutes and in then in the second half, those fourth quarter minutes. And it was uh, it was just a really good run. I mean, Tyus Jones, Dario Saric, and Gorgie Jang all really thrived playing with Cove in those in those eleven games. 
Jones was a plus 20.4 with Covington in 116 minutes during that run. Dario Saric was plus 13.8 in 154 minutes. And Jang was plus 12.7 with Covington in his 108 minutes. They shared the floor. So I it's it's not – obviously, you don't want Covington to just stay paired with the backups completely and, like, move him into some sort of six-man role. But there are – it's another opportunity for an adjustment for Saunders. And what what Saunders has said all year is it's really important to him to pair up Cat and Covington's minutes together for the, you know, the defensive support that he can, you know, provide Carl and the the spacing he can he can provide on the offensive end. But I, I don't know. I, I think this run suggests that maybe there should be some malleability there and willingness to try different things next to Cat um at the four, which we'll get into. But just also that Covington can – he can kind of provide – his presence, even if it's with second unit guys, can kind of provide a baseline expectation for defense. And then if they do have enough offense surrounding him, again, that's going to be important that Napier is able to continue you know, driving the offense a little bit um, when he's out there with Covington. But I think you can really, again, make a strong argument for finding ways to pair Covington – split his minutes up a little bit more where he is playing with the first unit guys, but he's also, there's also some intention being applied to him being able to run with the the second unit guys. So we'll see if that's something that, that Saunders uh, holds to with, with really being kind of demanding that cat and Covington's minutes overlap. But there's, there's also an argument to be made that they could, uh, they could find some ways to stagger that. The, the way to, to stagger cat and Covington is to play different power forwards. And I mean, those of you who've been listening to this podcast all year, you know, the idea we've talked about a lot is, is playing two traditional bigs next to each other, um, you know, specifically next to cat and you know what that would be able to provide from a size standpoint and making this group a little more stout defensively, particularly, particularly on the glass. And, you know, what we've seen from Gorgie Jang and Nas Reed, these past four games suggest they might have something there too with, you know, a player that they're going to want to give more minutes to. You know, prior to Cat's injury, Cat was playing 34 minutes a night, so basically the backup center minutes were just getting split, like the 14 minutes that were left were just getting split between Jang and Vonley, and then now it would be theoretically Reed. So 14 minutes isn't isn't even a lot for one player. So there's some there's some reason to, you know, try and dig for additional ways to get two bigs on the floor. And to run through their stats, this is what Gorgie's been averaging over the last four games. He's played 28 minutes a night, scored 13.5 points per game, 11 rebounds a game, 2.8 assists a game, 1.8 blocks. He's shooting 50% from three, 44% from two. The offense has been good, 107.5 or solid, and the defense has been elite with him out there, 92.9. Jang's net rating over the last four is plus 14.6. Um, for Nas Reed... His his counting stats, he's he's played 17 minutes a game over these last four. 11.3 points per game, 3.5 rebounds, 1.5 assists, one steal, one block. Um, he's shooting 50% from two and 33% from three. But he is getting up those threes at a crazy high volume. Um, last year, Steph Curry set the record for per minute three-point shooting volume, uh, taking 12.5 three-point attempts per 36 minutes. Nas Reed is taking 12.4 three-point attempts per 36 minutes. Uh, over this this last four-game run, he 
teams aren't really getting out to to respect his shot. And he is a very confident shooter, and he's been told to you know let it sort of fly at will. Thirty three percent isn't you know a world beater rate, but um, he does appear to have a a competent NBA level stroke. We know that's basically his his main skill he has right now. So with the with the both of them, you have a an argument to be made that maybe both of them deserve Jang and Reed deserve some minutes once they're coming back. Nas's efficiency numbers aren't as good. They the Wolves were really outscored with him on the floor in the Cleveland game last night, which knocked things down. The offense hasn't been very good. 101 points um, per 100 possessions scored, 104 given up um, to be exact. The net rating is minus 3.3. But the their performance just it um, it allows you to think about how how the Wolves could use the front court different. And again, the the really the only route Saunders has to to giving any of them, including Noah Vonley more minutes is to start playing, uh, you know, two bigs together. And and so far this season, Katz played 779 minutes, and he's only played eight of those minutes next to Gorgie Jang, 25 minutes next to Noah Vonley, 30 seconds next to Nas Reed. The only other big he's he's really shared time with is Jordan Bell, who I'm sure you've noticed over, you know, before Cat was healthy, kind of came in and was playing, you know, power forward next to Cat. Um, half of Bell's minutes this year about have been with – Cat also on the floor, and then Bell's also played. I mean, Bell's just a power forward at this point. He's he plays the vast majority of his minutes with one of those centers next to him. So you know the the question becomes, you know, can can Gorgie fill that Jordan Bell role? Can can Noah Vonley fill that Jordan Bell role? Even Nas Reed, can you can you play those you know those two bigs together? Um, if you're able to shift, you know, fourteen more of Cat's minutes a night to more of the stretch four and you play him alongside a Gorgie Jang or a Vonley, then now you have 28 minutes that Jang and Vonley can split together. And then I think you can double down on that too. If you want to go always with the two big lineup where, you know, when cats out of the game, then Reed is in as kind of the stretch four. And then you have Jang and Vonley out there. So then you have kind of the entire universe of the 96 big man minutes a night are going to, well, I guess if you include Bell, Cat, Jang, Vonley, Bell, and Reed. Now, the, the opportunity cost there is that, you know, Covington, obviously Covington would still play, so he would have to shift down to the three, and that's what Layman, you know, when Layman gets back, he would have to shift down to the three, too. And, you know, it would maybe pinch out Kate, Kate Bates-Diop, who's played well. He's making almost 60% of his corner threes this season since he's been in the rotation. Um so, so you're just kind of repurposing the log jam in a way because then, you know, Wiggins and Culver, Kogi and Graham, they would shift down to sort of the shooting guard and then you just have, again, a new a new sort of bottleneck on the wing. What you're probably thinking is, okay, you know, cut out Trevion Graham, who's played a lot this year, or maybe cut out Josh Kogi, who has only made three of his last 29 threes. And I, you know, I, I hear that to some extent. The three-point shooting has been super problematic when those two are on the floor, particularly when they're on the floor together. Um, that should definitely be eliminated, and it largely has the, the Okogi and Graham minutes together. But the reason I don't think we'll see this is because time and again this year, Ryan has talked about the importance of point-of-attack defense and his belief that both Josh Okogi and Trevion Graham 
are the two best players on the team at, you know, physically handling the point of attack. So to go with this too big look in a meaningful way and then to kind of have the trickle-down effect of Covington moving into more of a wing role again, then you're probably having to cut out two of your best point of attack defenders. So the ones that Ryan says are the best point of attack defenders on the team. I have a longstanding belief that I think Covington could handle a lot of that. Um, even Andrew Wiggins, you know, could be, you know, tried in, in that sort of role, but that is, that's sort of the, you know, the opportunity cost um, equation for, for Saunders and the coaching staff is figuring out, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to play two bigs, what are you then giving up? Um, I actually asked Ryan about this at practice on Saturday, and I have a little 90-second audio clip of of his response and what sounds to be like him warming up to the idea that there is going to be two bigs played together, whether that's Cat and Bell, Reed and Bell, or, you know, moving Jang and Vonley in there too. So let's listen to that quick. Numerous times of the year, like the pick, those Gorgie and Noah minutes and mm-hmm. being kind of a struggle to figure out how to get that yeah. enough time during that run. Not with what Nas yeah. has done. Like, is that just yeah. going to be one of those situations where it's harder? Is it going to be game yeah. to game? Or yeah. like, what do you put I'd say game to game. And, um, you know, I acknowledge and I tell the players too, I acknowledge that it isn't always fair to, fair to them. And, you know, as a coach, uh, you know, you feel for those guys. You, you don't want to yo-yo guys in and out. But um, if you're if you're going to do things strategically and you're going to use, um, you know, all the data that you have, and, and also, you know, you you really take into consideration who you're playing against. Um, in a lot of cases, that there will be situations where it'll be game game to game. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm also not counting out that you might play if you consider both those. You know, consider the, those guys two bigs or centers. Um, you know, maybe there's there's some you know uh, minutes where they play a little bit together because you can, you can stretch Nas a little bit, you can stretch Cat a little bit. So you know, I, don't, I guess I don't necessarily consider those guys this full-on, you know, fives um, because you can put them in the hot clock. You can put them in the corner a little bit. Um, you can have them pop. You can run short action, pick and rolls. Uh, you can run some other things uh, where they're flaring to the corners um, where it's not just two, you know, basically back, kind of back to the basket bigs uh, down low. And, you know, G shot the ball well as well. Something they could pair with Noah or Gordy. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and um, it's, you know, it's something to talk about. It, it's not something that, you know, I'm saying you're going to see. Sure. But, uh, you know, when, when you have a number of guys playing well, um, you have to consider everything. So you have to consider everything is uh, is what Saunders' stance is on it. And, I mean, I don't know. He's not going to just come out and say they're going to do that. He's probably not going to come out and just say they're not going to do that. But I do think, again, he, he seems to be sort of warming up to the idea that, I mean, the reason they didn't want to play two bigs together is because what they feared it would cost them on, in floor spacing. I think, you know, what we, we've been able to learn this year is that – some of that floor spacing, particularly with Gorgie Jang. I mean, Jang's, he made five threes last night against the Cavs. He's able to, you know, spread the floor. And that's just that's just different than I, I'm sure some of you are thinking about the sometimes nightmarish, like, crashes of Jang and Kat getting in each other's way from a few years back. But it's just, it's important to note, and I've, I've talked to Gorgie about this, that he wasn't he wasn't allowed to shoot above the break threes before. It's because it hadn't been something he'd worked on adding to his game. This summer he has. 
he's not just shooting corner threes. He's he's up there above, you know, above the break. And remember how he used to always take those little 16-foot mid-rangers from the angle? I mean, he's now stretched that out to beyond the arc. So it, it's a little, it might be a little bit wonky because him and Cat are still, you know, big-bodied players might affect some of the pace that they want to play with. But it certainly feels like it's an option. And having, you know, a very discounted version of Cat in Nas Reed. You could try some of that too. So it just, it seems like, you know, I've been kind of banging the table all year for, you know, playing two bigs together, like be damned, whatever. Um, but now there seems to be a little bit more of a, a path that makes sense to getting there. So uh, we'll see, we'll see what comes up next. I mean, we don't know exactly when Cat is going to be back. He's doing more and more in practice every day. I see him, you know, doing, doing shooting drills. They remain somewhat coy on, on what his, what his timetable is, but uh it's going to, he's going to eventually be back. This obviously isn't like a Covington situation from last year where all of a sudden he's just done for the year or something. And when he does come back, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different things they can do because this roster is doing things very different than they were, you know, almost a month ago, last time cat played on December 13th. So we'll see what, uh, we'll see what Ryan has to change coming up next. And then lastly, the, the thing I just want to kind of talk about is what, what's coming up ahead for the Wolves. Their next, I'll just rattle off their next few games. They play at Memphis on Tuesday, home against the Blazers on Thursday, at Houston on Saturday, at the same time as the Vikings. That's a bummer. And then back home against the Thunder. Um, I think those, those four games will be interesting as if it sounds stupid, but if we do the looking at the schedule sort of thing, I mean, the Wolves are half a game behind the San Antonio Spurs for the, who are sitting in the eighth seed right now at 14 and 20. The Wolves are 14 and 21. Now tied up right there with them are the, the Grizzlies are 15 and 22, also a half game back. And the Blazers are 15 and 22, also a half game back. Those are the Wolves' next two opponents. Um, are they able to su- sustain this kind of success they've been playing with? Is it going to get wonky when Cat gets back in, when Wiggins takes on a bigger role? I don't know what the answer to that is. We've, we haven't seen this group play with this group, you know, or that group play with this group. Um, but they, the Wolves have a real opportunity the rest of this week. Um, Memphis on Tuesday, you know, we don't think of them as a traditionally good team. But they, they on Saturday, they were in L.A. They beat the Clippers by 26 points on the road. And then on a back-to-back last night, they went to Phoenix and beat the Suns, who's you know, been another kind of wolves level type team. So win, win on a road, road, back to back, like the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies aren't a joke. They've beat, again, they've beat the wolves twice. Um, but that's, that's an opportunity for the wolves. And I would hope it's a game that, you know, for the fans, for the sake of winning, I hope there's some extra intention put to playing as many players as they can. And, you know, we don't want cat to play hurt, but if cat, if cat can play against Memphis, like Memphis can't, Memphis can't check him on the, the perimeter. There's, you put Jonas Valanciunas on him. I mean, that's going to be a massive problem for them defensively. It would be, it'd be really meaningful to have Cat in that game. I'm not banking on it. The Wolves can still handle this Grizzlies team with the roster they've had and the way they've been playing. That would be a big game. The Blazers are a weird team. Um, I feel a little bit better about that one, that it's at home. Portland's a tough place to play. It, uh, it, it, I think that matchup specifically you know, presents some... Uh, some things that are going to, you know, kind of poke holes into those problems we were just talking about. I feel like against a a team with Lillard, McCollum, and it sounds funny, but Carmelo Anthony, like those are three isolation guys that you kind of need to play your best one-on-one defenders against. 
does that mean Trevion Graham has to play a lot? Does that mean Josh Okogie has to play a lot? You know, is Covington on, on Carmelo Anthony? You know, how does – the Wolves haven't played an isolation team like that in a while, and certainly, you know, not in this, this run of games where they've been playing better since Christmas. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to be able to handle that team. Maybe in a weird sort of way against Portland, having a better rim defender and Gorgie Jang out there rather than Cat, that helps them in, in defending isolation – I don't know. It's obviously always going to be better to have Cat on the floor because whatever he loses for you defensively, he makes up for, again, you know, 10, I don't know if it's tenfold, but he makes up for on the offensive end. The Wolves have been really bad offensively and 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 defensively they need to prevent, sorry for a little bit of noise in the background there. Um, but, th- but this is a real opportunity for the Wolves and I'm, I'm interested to see what they're able to do against Memphis this week, what they're able to do um, against Portland on, on, what is that, on Thursday. So, so let's, let's keep an eye on that. Um, and, until then, I will have – I'm going to write a story tonight on kind of looking back at the, the decision to not sign um, Tyus Jones this summer and instead kind of repurpose that backup point guard role to Shabazz Napier. And um, you know, that was one of the, in a weird way, kind of defining moves of the summer. So uh, you can check that out. It's own coverage that will be up on Tuesday morning before in advance of the Memphis game. And we'll have more throughout the week, another podcast on Thursday afternoon because the Wolves play against the Blazers that day. So it won't be Thursday night because I'll be at the game. But look for that. Thank you for uh, staying tuned with the podcast throughout the year. Um, I'll be back on Thursday. Until then, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.